In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. If you were to take an inventory of all the books and articles written on the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross, my guess is that it would be easy to fill a space like the Library of Congress two or three times. For nearly all Christians, the message of the cross is in one sense life-giving and in another sense head-scratching. It's life-giving because we believe it to be a proclamation of hope, a, a dark heavy, painful proclamation of hope to be sure, but a hopeful proclamation nonetheless. But it's head-scratching because we are regularly asking ourselves the question, why? Why the cross? Why, Why the pain? Why the agonizing death? Was it really necessary? As I said, book after book has been written on this very topic, and the church, in her wisdom, has posited a variety of theories trying to answer the why question of the cross. But But no one theory has ever been held up as the final and complete and only way of answering the why question. Depending on which branch of Christianity you worship in regularly and the particular proclivities of the person who teaches and preaches regularly in your church, you might have been taught that the cross was transactional, a payment for sin that was required by God. That's a very popular and one of the oldest theories in the church. Or maybe you were taught that Jesus' death on the cross was a a divine trick played on the devil who thought that he had won when Jesus was killed, but couldn't have imagined that death wasn't the final answer. This is the theory that C.S. Lewis uses in the Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan, the great lion, is meant to be an allegory for Jesus Christ. He offers his life to the white witch in place of the young traitor Edmund, thereby saving Edmund and everyone else in Narnia. Or maybe you were taught that that the death was purely political. Jesus had drawn the ire of the Roman rulers and the Jewish Sanhedrin to the breaking point, and so they killed the political and religious rabble-rouser. Or maybe you heard some other theory or any number of different combinations of, of these theories. There's nothing inherently wrong about any of these theories. Faithful Christians certainly disagree with other faithful Christians about the theories, hence the vast number of books. But it's clear that the Scriptures do not lay out one theory or formula to answer the why question of the cross. And that's because, I think, we're not, we're not meant to follow a theory or a formula. The cross is not meant to be a mathematical equation for us to figure out. No, that's, that's not it. The cross is meant to show us, to remind us that we are loved. Here's what I mean by that. It would have been much easier, I think, for God, God the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to, to just stand back, to to stay out of the fray, to choose to be distant with creation as we sinned and went astray. It would have been much easier for God, I imagine, to just abandon us all and start over. But God chooses a different course of action, and that, that different course of action is Jesus. In the person of Jesus, God chooses to come and be among us, to be with us, to love us to the very end. The Anglican priest and theologian Sam Wells writes in his book, Hanging by a Thread, that 
The cross confronts us with the fragility of Jesus. He's no Superman, Wells writes, who leaps down from the cross. Jesus suffers to the end. He goes on to say that when we think about our sinful state, we're meant to wonder and ask ourselves why it is that God didn't just utterly reject us for all of the terrible things that we've done. But, Wells says, for all of our wondering and pondering, one thing is utterly clear. When we see the pain, when we touch the wounds, when we hear the cries, we know that God will go to any lengths for us, that God will never be separated from us, that love of us is written into God's DNA. The cross, then, is the gospel. It's it's not the whole gospel, but it's a piece of the gospel. And the gospel, the good news, is love. Some of those theories, those formulas that try to answer the why question of the cross say that because of our sinfulness, God, God needed a death. And so God sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross. And if you are like me, you, you likely balk at that idea for it doesn't sit well with your understanding of God. But what if, as, as one bishop in our church wrote recently, what if God didn't send Jesus to die, but God sent Jesus to live? Doesn't that make more sense? In the same way that God creates us to live, God sent Jesus into the world to live, to to come among us, to be with us. That's the name that the angel speaks to Joseph before the Christ child is even born. He shall be called Emmanuel, which, which literally means God with us. God sent Jesus to live and to show us how to live, and it was only after being among us that that Jesus chose to die. Frederick Buechner, the Presbyterian pastor and theologian, once wrote, the life you clutch, the life you hoard and guard and play it safe with is in the end a life worth little to anybody, including yourself, and only a life given away for love's sake is a life worth living. Only a life given away for love's sake is a life worth living. Each one of us, like Jesus, will die. Each one of us will lose our lives at some point. But here's the thing. We can, we can die clutching, clinging, playing it safe, holding on like this. Or we can die by opening up, by letting go, by, by living abundantly, by loving extravagantly just as Jesus did. Again and again, Jesus reminds His disciples in the Gospel that that their call, that our call, is to take up our cross, to take up our crosses, and to follow Him. And when we do, when we choose that path, when we choose to live in that way, then the journey that Jesus makes to the cross and to the grave, and then finally to resurrected life, is our journey too. I think that that on this day, on this Good Friday, we can get bogged down, we can get stuck in the weeds, we can spend our time trying to come up with theories to explain the cross, or, or we can see it not only as the story of God's love for creation, but also the example for how we are to live. We were created to love extravagantly and to live sacrificially, and we as followers of Jesus are called to take up our crosses, 
to die to sin, to die to harmful relationships, to die to political or social allegiances whose only mission is to divide us rather than to unite us, to die to ways of life that are, that are literally killing us, to die to any and all of those things or people or institutions that draw us further from the love of God to be ready to lay down our very lives for the other. That's the way of the cross. That's the way of Jesus. There was a story about a week ago on NPR's Morning Edition that, that hit me in a really powerful way. Maybe some of you all heard it. It was on the Friday Story Chorus segment of Morning Edition, and it was a a conversation that a mother, Tanae, was having with her 10-year-old son, Desmond, a fifth grader in Houston, Texas, and they were, they were talking about the active shooter drills that take place in his school. Google it when you get home today and listen to it if you didn't hear it last week. The conversation starts with, <clears throat> with Desmond asking his mom what kind of emergency drills she had in school when she was growing up, and she tells him that, that they had fire drills and tornado drills, but that was it. Tanae then asks her son to tell her what happens when they have active shooter drills at his school. Can you tell me exactly what happens, she says to him. And so Desmond goes on to describe what they look like. He says, the teacher is supposed to lock the door, turn the lights off, and push this big desk behind the door. And the first time I did an active shooter drill, Desmond says to his mother, I saw her having a hard time with it, so I decided to come help her. Because if she doesn't get the desk in front of the door in time, the intruder can open it. So what did you do next after you pushed the table, Tanae asks Desmond. Desmond responds, the class is supposed to stand on the back wall, but I decided to stand in front of the class because I want to take the bullet and save my friends. Does your your teacher ask you to stand in front of the class, Tanae asks. No, Desmond said. My life matters, but it's kind of like there's one person that can, co- com- can come home to the family, or there can be 22 people that can come home to their families. And then the two of them go back and forth a bit to Nate, telling Desmond that it's, it's hard for her to hear that, and that it's, it's sad that he as a child has to think about things like that. And then finally she tells him that it's, it's okay to be selfish in situations like that because she needs him to come home at the end of the day. And then after she says all of that to him, she asks him, so would you still stand in front of your friends even with me telling you not to? And Desmond responds, yes. He says, I... I get that you want me to come home, but it's, it's really not a choice that you can make. It's a choice that I have to make. I don't know what Desmond and Tanae's religious practices are or if they're even a part of a faith tradition. That, that doesn't come up in the two-minute and 36-second conversation that they have. Maybe they're Christians, but maybe they're Buddhists or Muslims or Jews or, or atheists. I don't know. But this idea that, that laying down one's life for other people is what we're meant to do, he gets it. Desmond gets it. A 10-year-old boy sadly and, and movingly understands that living for others is how we find real life. The message that we proclaim, the message of 
Good Friday, the message of the cross, the message of the grave, the message of Christianity is this. But in spite of our meanness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our faithlessness, in spite of our anger and hatred and callousness toward each other and toward God, God still chooses to love us. And God in Jesus Christ chooses to give His life for us. It's not meant to be mind-boggling, head-scratching, some unsolvable problem that we try to, to deconstruct and to solve. The story that we hear today is meant to be a reminder. And the reminder is that, that God is with us, that God loves us, and that even when we die, even when we go down to the grave, even when we return back to the dust from which we were created, God's promise is that we shall not die forever. For it's at the cross, it's at the grave with Jesus that we make our song and receive the promised gift of everlasting life. Amen.